Uh, cutest announcement giver ever right there. Uh, all right, welcome to church again. Uh, I got the last couple announcements. Uh, one is uh, hopefully you um, parked your car this morning somehow, um, but I assume you did so, um, or you walked here, which is also wonderful. Um, but the next, this Sunday and next Sunday, um, Peace Prep, the school that we uh, share the space with, they are doing some uh, changes with their um, trailers out back and moving some across the street and some sorts of renovations with the trailers. And so we are without that back parking lot uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. Uh, so you'll see on the incredibly beautiful map that I made this morning or earlier this week, uh, the yellow is good, uh, red is bad. Um, and maybe I should have made it green, actually. I probably would have made more sense. Um, but. North Ave and Oliver, the street's right out here. We want you to park there, and we think there's going to be plenty of parking, especially today with it being a holiday weekend, um, but we're going to kind of assess it at the end of the day, uh, see how that went. Uh, don't park on Lindsay Street or in the back parking lot. Hopefully this will be just through next Sunday. If you are available to help, uh, we had a few, a couple extra folks helping out there this morning. If you're available to help next Sunday, that'd be amazing. Just reach out to me, and we will get you uh, on that list. Um, next is that we've got the Wednesday night Bible study, our weekly announcement uh, for Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, this is this Wednesday at 6 p.m. Our run of child care, uh, uh, Redeemer Kids Bible studies ended uh, last Wednesday. Those just went through June. We're wonderful and so thankful for everyone that participated in that. And now we're back to uh, just having the adults up here. Um, I was here this past week, uh, and I'll just say it was an incredible uh, just experience uh, sitting around that back table, I think there was about 15 of us uh, just walking through Ephesians 4. Um, and I learned so much. It's an incredibly diverse group of people who are looking at the scripture together, and there's so much to learn from each other. Uh, so if you have not come to one of those, come this Wednesday. We would love to have you. Uh, and I'm, I'm giving that announcement in, light, in, in lieu of Pastor Mac, who leads it. Uh, Leon is out. Uh, this weekend uh, with Baba Tunde for his wedding. If you guys remember Baba Tunde, uh, he sat like right there every Sunday. Um, and he is getting married. He moved to California a few months ago and is getting married to his wonderful fiance uh, today. So pray for Leon uh, and for Baba Tunde as they are getting, or the, the wedding is this afternoon, um, I think somewhere in LA. Um, but that's why he, we are without Pastor Mac this morning. Uh, okay, without further ado, let's talk about the Bible. Okay, uh, Galatians 6, um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, but spoiler alert, we're, we're actually not even going to get um, even close to 2.10 this morning. Uh, so if you see the verse of like verse 8 and you're like, oh, I really love that verse, like we're not going to get to it. So do you, you know, lower expectations. If you really like verse 1 of chapter 6, you're in for a treat today. All right, Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the Bible. And when we say thanks be to God, may we mean that in the depths of our soul. We sit under your scripture Sunday after Sunday, submitting to its authority. And may you use this sermon, the words that I will say, to point us to a deeper and deeper gratitude for you and your word. Father, we pray for those who are struggling in our church today, whether that is relationally or financially or with housing or at their job or in their marriages or in their friendships. We pray for healing to take place. And we recognize that there's so much suffering. That every person in this room is hurting in some way. And we pray that healing would come. And may we be the hands and feet of Christ to one another. Doing good to each other, just as it says in this passage. Do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. May we be brothers and sisters. And Father, I pray for those who are not here today. May you be with them as they travel. May you bless them. Bless Pastor Leon as he oversees the wedding this afternoon and the words that he preaches. May he preach the gospel. May people come to know the Lord who are at that wedding. And Father, bless our time this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 This week, through a friend at the church, I learned that if you become an AMC Stubbs member, which costs nothing, um, you get $5 movies on Tuesdays. And so my wife and I went to a movie this last Tuesday. If you're wondering where the Henleys will be on Tuesday nights, we'll probably be at the movies. And I'm going to take my oldest, at least her, to see the Top Gun sequel this week. Has anybody seen it? No spoilers alert. I'm sure we come out on top in the end, but no spoilers alert. I've heard it's amazing, um, but I'm assuming the second one, like all sequels, is going to build off of the first one. So I recognize that in order for my daughter to get the most out of the second one, I kind of had to catch her up on everything that happened in the first one with a few fast forwards in the middle of the movie. And two things I want to say, I want you to take notice of. One is I need you just to go ahead and be prepared. There's going to be some sermon illustrations from Top Gun in the month ahead. (laughs) Just prepare your hearts for that. And second, as we jump into Galatians 6, I want to recognize, just like jumping midway in a movie series, you and I need a little bit of catching up to do. Amen? So the church in Galatia here, in chapter 6, we see kind of these instructions, but the background to this, why the letter's even written, is that the church, the people of God, the church gathering together, brothers and sisters who committed to each other, are struggling in Galatia. The main gist of the struggle is they have allowed some false teachings, so teachings that are not true to the scriptures and true to who God is, uh, who God is to creep in to their church culture. Paul says to them in the first chapter, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
So this is the problem, and then the solution that we can assume here, we would assume this would be the case, is exactly what you'd expect when someone has forgotten something that is important, the person that sees that does their best to take the time to remind them, to remind them, to remind them over and over again, and that's just what Paul does. Galatians 1, you'll see it on the screen. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. This is true. They've known it already, but they need to be reminded of it again. The works were separating the people, the Jews and the Gentiles, so how did he respond? This poor teaching was creeping into the church. So he says to them, reminds them again, for for through the law I died to the law so that I may live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is the basis of the gospel. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He's pointing them back to the finished work of Christ on the cross. It keeps going. Galatians 4, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Galatians 5, 1 in every chapter here. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Instead of being bound to the works-based, the the, the teaching that if they do enough good things, God will love them, he calls them instead to to stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Amen? But here in chapter 6, the final part of this letter, the emphasis seems to change. And like in so many of Paul's letters, he begins to instruct the people in Galatia. We see the main idea for this, or this whole sermon right here, is that God's commandments are for our good. Now we're going to talk about what he says in a minute, but I want to take a moment to recognize that this simple truth, that God gives us instructions on how to live our life. It's a simple truth, but I need you and I to let this sink in, that God loves us enough to that all of those things are true from Galatians 1 through 5. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. God forgives us, but God also instructs us. Intellectually, if you've ever opened the Bible, you know this is true. There's instructions throughout the Bible, commands after commands. You've got the big ten commandments from the Old Testament with Moses bringing them down from the mountain. There's the exorbitant amount of instructions for God's people in the Old Testament. And then you have in the New Testament Jesus coming to on one hand fulfill the law of Moses and also giving more commands that are in line with the commands from the Old Testament in principle. We read the Sermon on the Mount. We read instructions from Jesus on prayer, fasting, loving the poor, what to do with our money, etc., etc. However, I would argue that something has shifted 
in our church culture today, and I'm not talking about Redeemer specifically, but church culture in general, where we seem to be so much more okay with accepting the love and forgiveness of God than we are from accepting the instructions of Jesus. Maybe it's just me, but I was thinking and feel like there's been a shift that's happened in the last five or ten years. But then when I was thinking about it, I thought, Ma, we may have been having a shift a lot longer than that. I mean, you hear about people today with the phrase, you do you. You come to somebody, they give you a scenario, the, the common response back is, well, well, brother, you do you. Or the idea of live your We think about this and it makes me think, oh dear, that's, that ain't it. This is a bad transition that we're making. But then I think back on the scripture and we've been living our truth for a long, long time. Adam and Eve, the devil comes to them in the garden, asked about that one tree that God told them not to eat of. The instruction that God had given them, the commandment that God had given them. And Eve said, we're not supposed to do this. The devil, now this is not an exact translation from the Hebrew, but pretty much looked at Eve, snarled and said, God may have said that, but woman, you do you. You eat that fruit if you want to. We think about the story of Jonah. God gave him specific instructions. And I think about this, and it's a different fish on the screen here, but a couple years ago, it's probably three years ago, we had one of our, before we got a dog, we tried out a fish first. And if you are a parent, I would tell you, beta fish are an incredible pet. They're like Navy SEALs, impossible to kill these things. So we had a beta fish, and my wife came downstairs, and my young son with our neighbor were sitting at the counter kind of looking at the fish, doing all that you do. You look at the fish, you know, when mom goes away, all sorts of other things happen to that fish, but here, looking at that fish... And mom, my wife noticed that they had got the fish food out from the cupboard and had it next to it. And so she knew what was going through their minds, and she looked at them, and she said, Boys, I need you to ask before you feed the fish. So Diane goes upstairs, does something, comes back down a few minutes later, walks into the kitchen, can barely see inside the vase because there's just fish food everywhere. <laughs> she looked at them very calmly and said, Boys, what? Did I tell you? I told you to ask before you feed that fish. And the neighbor's boy, who's always so was always so quick, looked at Diane and said, We did ask, and he didn't tell us not to. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, they did listen to Diane, but they asked the wrong person. Technically, Eve did listen to somebody in that garden, but it wasn't the one with instruction of truth. We think of Jonah. God gave him specific instructions, truth to follow. He said, I'm going to live my own way. I'm actually going to jump on this ship. And where did he end up? He ended up in the belly of a whale. There is a hundred more examples in Scripture of this, where people who were believers in God that instead of listening to God, I'm going to go my own way. And of course, we're going to name this, this call to listen and heed God's instruction, but I want to also name that part of the reason that, yes, we have struggled to trust God since the beginning of time and are struggling to trust Him now 
Yes, that has always been the case, but maybe this is especially difficult because trust in institutions as a whole in 2022 is probably at an incredibly low rate. This is across the board. Governments, big companies, the amount of just sheer misinformation out there. Social media plays a significant role in this. But I also would say it's even a real thing in the church today. In the last 15 to 20 years, and maybe it's been longer than that, but this is my adult life, it feels like there's been so many scandals at big churches, probably some at small churches as well that don't make the news, even denominationally wide scandals, that in reality, it not only these scandals of abuse or what we fill in the blank, not only hurts those specific individuals that were impacted by what happened, but in a lot of ways hurts all of our trust in these institutions and in turn hurts our trust in the preaching of God's word. When the man who stood in my position turns out to be, or stood stood in my position turns out to be, and not this specific pulpit, let me be clear, but as a pastor of a church stands here and preaches but leads a duplicitous life, a double life, it it doesn't mean that the words preached are any less true But in a very real way, it hurts all of our ability to believe and submit to them. And I think it's important just to name this reality. And if this is you or you find yourself coming to passages of Scripture like this and feeling a sense of, when you hear instruction, feeling a sense of doubt and saying, oh, I don't know. Or if you've even struggled to look at the Bible at all for instruction on how to live your life. Yes, I want you to know that's not the best, that's not healthy, and I want you to turn and repent from that, but I also want you to hear from me that we want you to heal from whatever has caused that wound. And those of you who don't have this struggle or are feeling like nothing I'm saying is necessarily applying to your heart, know that you're probably sitting near somebody that it does. And praise the Lord that you have had such a healthy background. It's a beautiful thing but we're called to have patience and understanding with those who have been impacted. So to all of us, we remind remind you of the gospel, hopefully week in and week out, to remind you that through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he's the one that cursed on that tree, we are accepted by God because he took that curse for us. But we also remind you of the gospel because when you and I believe it, we trust God not only to forgive us, but we trust him on the how and what of our lives. The gospel is saying to us, through Christ, you belong. Now let God teach you how to live. Don't just stop with you belong. And I promise you that his way is better than your way. Now, we aren't going to get into this entire passage, just like I said, but in light of this, we're going to look at that first verse. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Paul, as a good leader, is sitting there with the people in Galatia saying, here is some instruction of how to live life. After feeding them the gospel, chapter after chapter after chapter of this letter, he decides he wants to give them some practical advice on how to do life together. And what do we see here in this one simple verse? There's three things that I want to name right off the bat. 
One we see from Galatians 6.1 that sin happens. This isn't to excuse it, but it is to normalize it. Normalize the fact that you and I, as broken followers of Jesus, are far less than perfect. And so sin happens in your own life and in the lives of those around you. It recognizes that we as people, apart from God, and even when we have a relationship with Jesus, still are clawing up against the selfishness in our own hearts. And sometimes that selfishness wins and we sin, and that sin impacts the people around us. Again, we don't say this to normalize the excuse of it, but we say it to normalize so when we see it, we aren't shocked by it. Because if we act like we are shocked by it, no one will ever talk about it. One of the things that we were taught early in seminary was that when someone confesses sin to us as pastors, we do not react in any sort of way. And it's to communicate to the person that confesses that sin that whatever they did is not disgusting to us, is not beyond forgiveness, is not outside of what we are capable of doing. Again, it doesn't excuse it, and we deal honestly with that sin, but when we accept that sin is a part of how what life will look like, we can honestly deal with it well. Just like a patient going to a doctor and never complaining about anything being wrong doesn't give that doctor an opportunity to do the work that they're called to do. The second thing I want to name here is that in 6.1 we see that sin can make a mess, big or small, of your life. The call to restoration here, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, means that something is in need of restoration. And the third thing is that God calls you to play a significant role in the life of your brother and sister, even and especially in the ones who have sinned and made a mess of their life. The call here is not Galatians 6.1, pastors, if someone is caught in a sin. It's brothers and sisters. Matthew 18, which gives kind of the playbook on how to respond to someone's sin, like it doesn't get to us as pastors until step three. It's like you're supposed to go, then you bring somebody, and then it gets to us. And I don't say this to say like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just going to go on vacation for months on end, but I am saying this to tell you that this is our responsibility as a church. We are called to restore each other gently. Now I'm going to use this example to show my earlier point that the scripture calls us to a life that is not just you doing you, meaning that the Bible, when applied to our life, more times than not, will contradict your innate instincts and desires of how you want to handle a situation. As Paul tells us in Romans 7, the author here in another letter to the church in Rome says, talking about his own struggle, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. He's honest that he has a struggle to follow God, and we see it even in a passage like this. You see a brother or sister in sin, and let's just take the sin of gossip. We'll use that one. A sin that we've all done, and that more than likely has been done to us. Gossip is is defined as casual or unrestrained conversation or reports about other people 
typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. Hand up if that's something that is applied to you. You're liars. If not, then you've got to send a line if you're not raising your hand. <laughs> a pastor I admire, just to nail down the, this, this, this particular sin, a pastor I admire, a guy named Scott Sauls in Nashville, he says gossip is basically, this is a little bit brash, so gossip is basically conversational pornography. Like actual pornography, gossip objectifies image bearers for a cheap thrill while making zero commitment to them. It does to the reputation what pornography does to the body. Use, diminish, discard. In short, gossip, this sin is incredibly harmful to the person doing it, the person being talked about, and the community as a whole. But what do you, when you are a brother or sister, and are with someone from the church in the body of Christ, and he or she just starts laying on some juicy gossip about a mutual friend or acquaintance, how do you naturally respond? If you are human, you probably have one of three natural reactions. One is that you simply join in on the gossip. And we've all been guilty of this. Or second, you are so disgusted with the person. Your eyes have been opened. Oh, this is sin. This is disgusting. That you harshly rebuke the person committing that sin and instantly think less of them and more of yourself. Or the third way we wrongly respond is that you know what they're doing is wrong, but you hate confrontation so much that you just get quiet and slowly shrink away and do nothing. And sometimes, even worse, we just distance ourselves relationally from the person committing the sin with bearing no responsibility to what's happening. Well, you doing you, if you relate to one of these three reactions, is directly in opposition to what the Lord says is best for you, the person and our community as a whole. And Paul knows this. And the Bible is so wise and knows us so well that it anticipates how we will react to gossip. Therefore, a person who are, people who are in love with their Bibles and committed to studying their Bibles not only are reminded of how much God loves us from our Bibles, but are being instructed, and they trust, you and I trust the instructions on how best God wants us to live our lives. He anticipates that when others sin, it will lead us to, oftentimes to the own sin, where we'll, we'll, we'll jump into it, the same sin. So he says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. He anticipates that when others sin, we tend to look down on them and rebuke them harshly with our words and even more often with our thoughts. So what does the Bible say in Galatians 6.1? You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Gentleness requires humility. He anticipates that when others sin, some of us will just power down, not wanting to be confrontational and just slowly walk away. But what does the Bible tell us? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. Now this doesn't mean it will always work, and that restoration always happens. It's dependent upon both parties. But it does mean that we have instructions that are certainly challenging to our heart's desire. And I want you to hear from me today as we close that the deeper we understand the love of the one 
who wrote these instructions as we head towards the communion table and we will remind each other of the peace we have with the Father, the deeper we understand the one who gives us that peace through the cross, the deeper we will grow in our commitment to looking to the scriptures and not only guide us on how to restore our brothers and sisters gently, but guide us in all areas of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the ways that you continue to guide and direct us. We recognize that because of our own sin, as well as the woundings from our past, that there are struggles that we have to trust your word, to trust that it is for our good, to trust that living out your scripture, even when it is sacrificial to us, we have to sacrifice because of it, is ultimately for our good and your glory. And we repent of that. And we pray that you would give us hearts that are in alignment with you and in alignment with the scripture. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we head towards the communion table, this is 